there was another girl in the class and she's like, so why can't you help her with this? And I said, well, um, God just didn't give me the ability to do math very well. And there was a girl in there, another one said, me too. And I was able to connect with that person that we all have things that we struggle with. Some things are really hard. I've had the humorous response of when I was trying to work in a first grade room and I got one of the answers wrong and a little girl asked and I said, oh, I'm just not that good at math. And she said, oh, there's grown up school for that. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast. We have different guests come on and talk about things in their life where they would consider it an L and just explore how they felt, what they went through, what support they had there, how did they react to it, was in a positive or not so positive way and everything in between because let's be honest, we've all had high moments in our lives and they're fantastic. We feel we can do anything. But then when we're in those low moments where things didn't quite line up the way we wanted them to, we did feel some sort of way and it's always interesting to see how people explore or navigate those situations just because you might be going through something and you feel like you're handling it absolutely poor like you are just scraping the barrel in terms of effort here but then you might hear someone else talk about their situation and find out you're doing a fantastic job just keep doing what you're doing and you'll be all right but I don't know really what direction this conversation to go but I'm here for it I'm excited because this person I met wow was like a week ago maybe and this individual she just came across very interesting in terms of what she was about and what she was offering to share and I think it's always important if people are willing to share then let them have the platform to share because there's going to be other people that hopefully will vibe with it and it'll hopefully help other people to navigate a situation better or help other people have a better insight into what other people are going through. And I, and I honestly think that we should all respect one another in terms of whatever we're going through. It may not be to do with what you said. It could have been done with a whole host of other things or other factors. But hopefully through this conversation or these conversations, you'll be able to better understand that and just have a greater insight and appreciate for what people are going through. But this individual, she's absolutely lovely. She is such a pleasant individual. The brief interaction we've had has been pleasant, been refreshing. We had a mutual respect and appreciation for caterpillars and what they go through the metamorphosis when they go in a catalyst. It was just so nice. And she's just got one of those smiles that just makes you want to smile. It's very infectious and it's just positive. And what she does, I have to, I've always said it to her before, but I do thank her for her efforts, what she does, because it is life changing. And what she's now doing by sharing what she's going to share is also life changing because there's people out there that want to talk about how they feel about certain aspects of their lives, but feel they may be getting judged or treated a certain way or not seen as an equal. But I'm not going to go into it too much because that's for Michelle to talk about at her time. But what I'm going to ask Michelle to do right now, if she doesn't mind, before we continue, if she could introduce herself in a way that she sees fit. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for having me on here. Uh, my name is Michelle Steiner. I uh, live in Pennsylvania with my husband and our two cats. And I uh, work in a school with uh, students that have disabilities and I'm also a disability writer and photographer, and I have a learning disability myself. There we go. So folks, that's why I didn't want to cut into it. So she's helping others who have potentially what she has. And that's just amazing. That's just paying it forward in every sense of the word. So I love it. And I just, I'm grateful for you and your efforts on what you do. So Folks, as you know, I don't know much more about the L's before I get them. And this one's no exception. So the first L that Michelle would like to talk about is not accepting and being ashamed that I had a learning disability. 
off the top of my head, that just sounds like I, I, I kind of get it because as a child, you could potentially get picked on or feel that you're not keeping up and there's there's something different, but you don't appreciate that that thing that makes you different. But I'm happy to hear hear it from your point of view. So feel free to go back to where you feel it's relevant to start and yeah, let's navigate that situation. I think one of the things from the time I was a small child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability in kindergarten. So it was really frustrating for me. I wasted a lot of years um, wanting to learn and wanting to be like everybody else. And I can just remember feeling really discouraged. I thought that I couldn't learn and that life was always going to be really hard for me. And the magical thing to, to make it all better was to uh, be able to get rid of the disability. And whenever that didn't happen, I, w- I would always be really frustrated with that. And I think it, it wasn't until I finally accepted, okay, this is my learning disability. I'm not good at math. I can do other things such as reading and writing. And that's when it just became a lot easier for me going through that acceptance. And it wasn't until I did that that I started to have uh, more uh, a peace in my life. So when that happened, when you was in kindergarten, was it visible that there was a learning difficulty? I had a preschool teacher that thought something was going on, but I, I was my parents' first child, so they, they sent me to kindergarten. And when I was there, I struggled with things like tying my shoes. Dot-to-dot pages were a big one. I can remember thinking, wow, I, I they would give me a paper, and I thought, I did this great. And I would get it back, and it, well, it wasn't done correctly. Uh, things like bouncing a ball, um, catching a ball were really hard for me with the visual perception, writing my name, and I just wasn't grasping the information and I, and I was visibly frustrated. So that, that was one of the prompts to, uh, get, uh, to get me tested for that. So for those that don't know, what if you don't mind sharing, what are the learning difficulties that you have in with the medical names of them? Because some people might get them. I, I'm not a doctor, so I won't, <laughs> but I'm happy to hear them so I can have it in the show notes and have other people be able to research if they'd like to know more information. That, that's fine. Um, I have dyscalculia, which is the math learning disability. I have limited hand dexterity and visual perception, my hand coordination issues. But when I was first diagnosed, they gave an umbrella term of learning disability. It wasn't a specific one at that time. So is this something that's hereditary or is it something that can just happen? It's both. There are sometimes that it can be uh, hereditary. You can see that in genes. I, I have some family members that swear that they <laughs> they have the math disability. They have it, but they weren't formally diagnosed. So we don't know 100% for sure if they have it or not. Um, but sometimes it's just the people just for whatever reason, they, they, they have a learning disability, their brain is just wired differently. And, uh, we just go from that point. That, that is very true. So, are you, so how old was you in kindergarten when this sort of unraveled? It, I had to be five or six. I can't remember the, the exact age, but that, it was around five or six. So five or six, <sighs> you have an understanding of what your peers can do versus what you can or cannot do. And was your parents stressed out in any way, shape or form or? I think in the, it was difficult for them because I was their first child. So they didn't know a whole lot of what to look for. So I came into the world pretty much like a normal kid did. I um, did a lot of things that, you know, kids did at that age. I mean, I had some issues um, before that. But it wasn't uh, learning disability related. So my parents thought, okay, we have a kid. Maybe they're just, uh, they're young and she'll catch up. And uh, it was hard, I think, when I first got diagnosed because my dad's really good at math. And they were telling him, well, she's probably not going to be a mathematician. She's not going to really understand how numbers work. And, of course, he's like, wow, one plus one's two. I mean, that's something that we you know, never going to be able to change. So I think in the beginning, that was something that might have been a little hard to understand, but they quickly started to see as I went through school, uh, did the specialty instruction, just began to uh, do a lot of the work and struggle with it that, yeah, this was indeed a learning disability. And uh, there was just going to be some things that we had to do to um, help with that. Did they treat you any differently because of that diagnosis? I would say that My parents had to do certain things slightly different than maybe another parent would. They did not ground me if I didn't get a good grade. I always had to try my best, though. That was the main thing. And I didn't have to come home with perfect grades, but I had to try. Um, 
there were certain things they knew that I was going to struggle with. So uh, that became an issue with driving. We had to wait a year. Uh, they just thought that would be a good idea just before we attempted any instruction or uh, and that obviously didn't work out. But as far as being a kid and going out and trying new things, my, my parents pretty much uh, didn't encourage me always to try things and really didn't treat me any different uh, and anything except for maybe academics than um, my brother or other peers. Okay, that's interesting. It's only because when you see your firstborn or anyborn really, you love them, you shower them with love and attention as much as you can give them. Yeah. But when something kind of catches you completely blindsided, you're thinking, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Right, the routine I was in was this. What's this now? I don't understand. And I'm trying to work out if if by them treating you different, if you reacted differently. But it sounds like your parents did an ace job in it and they were very supportive and didn't allow you to get a free pass just because of what you have. Exactly. They explained my learning disability to me that I, I just learned differently, uh, simple age appropriate terms, but I had to go out and I had to try. And sometimes it was successful and other times I had to learn how to, uh, to do things in a different way. And at what point did you suddenly not like or was ashamed of your learning disability? I think it was shortly after I was diagnosed when I had to uh, repeat kindergarten that year. I can just remember being really frustrated. I wanted to learn like anybody else did. I wanted to be accepted by my peers and just none of that was happening. So I and I can remember getting labeled really quickly um, with my peers. They knew we that uh, I went to learning support. I went to a really small school district and I couldn't just hide or blend in. So it, it it really stuck out and I quickly got labeled the dumb one and the outcast. So it was really hard um, from a pretty young age. And how did that make you feel being called such names or being having labels associated with you? It made me feel really sad because I, I, I wanted to be just like anybody else. I wanted to be treated like my peers, wanted to make friends, wanted to do well in school. Uh, wanted to make my parents proud, even though they've always been proud and never gave up on me. But it was that was really sad. And it was also frustrating because I wondered what was wrong with me for a lot of years socially because it, ju it just making friends was really hard. I'm trying to hold back a tears in my eyes because that just sounded brutal. You know, you wouldn't want that for any children, although you, I guess anybody will relive their childhood. And if not saying everyone has the same childhood but you can understand how kids can just say things mm -hmm. and it's just mean and it cuts deep and they're, un they're unapologetic with it because they're just calling a spade a spade in their eyes yeah. they haven't got the vocabulary or understand the context of what they're saying and how deep those words can cut but it's just brutal hearing that you had to endure such things did your learning disability that impact your relationship with your sibling he came when i was 13 so we were kind of <laughs> on opposite ends of the spectrum as it was uh he was younger i was older so i think that um you know that there was always that question is my brother going to have a learning disability and the answer was he doesn't have a learning disability but that that did come up and you know it, that was just one of those things but other than we had um you know, just pretty much your tip. Well, I wouldn't say typical because of the age difference, but um, yeah. That's positive. Do you feel that you reacted negatively at all to how your diagnosis, potential frustration that might have conjured up from you just wanting to do something that other people would consider simple, but for you it was challenging because you had to find a new way of doing it. Did you react in a negative way to that by any chance? Um, I was always, I, I think it was emotional, but it wasn't, my parents really worked on me behaving, uh, especially in public. So I knew uh, how, how to handle and I didn't get into a whole lot of trouble <laughs> uh, whenever I was in school. But I think a lot of it was learning how to control the emotions because I could, you could see everything on my face. You could see if I was, if somebody made fun of me, you could see if I was sad. Uh, my teachers could see that I was frustrated on my work. So that was really hard sometimes to kind of be like, all right, you can feel that way, but we still got to get, we still have to do this and to just try to, um, try to manage that. It was a little difficult when I was younger. 
is there a time that you that you just completely went a different direction to how you normally are in terms of you seem like such a level-headed individual and I imagine it's most of it's because that's who you are as an individual but also through the upbringing the support you've had but I'm just curious to know if there was a time where you just got to boiling point and you thought no uh, no. Right. I think there was a time I was really frustrated, and that was uh, after high school when I was in college. And I had a lot of people that were telling me, well, first of all, people didn't think I could handle college. And then I had a psychiatrist who told me, uh, you're most likely not going to go beyond community college. And people were telling me, uh, you know, that the disability accommodations were giving me an unfair advantage. And I wasn't the happiest. Neg- I wasn't the happiest person. I also wasn't the most positive person. I, I tended to look at it because I was afraid, and I thought everything was just really um, not going to happen. And that—that uh, that was a really hard time for me. But it was when I finally used a lot of the accommodations that brought it around. And another healing thing for me has been writing. I always enjoyed reading and writing. But when I got to write about how I was feeling and I wrote disability articles, I uh, just found a healing that I I couldn't um, otherwise have if I didn't do that. That's fantastic. So growing up after finding out about the diagnosis at age five slash six, did you have to go to therapy or was that something that you wanted to do or did you not do it at all? Because I'm asking the question as if it's something like this right. that is fundamentally not just one thing that's holding you back in some degree. You might have someone that can say, let me support you by aiding you by saying these are certain methods and techniques you could try and use. We didn't do therapy as a young child for that. It just wasn't something that uh, a lot of people did. At that time, it was more like, okay, this is your diagnosis, this is what your life is, and we didn't really look at a lot of the feelings and the emotions. And now, when we have a student that comes in, uh, I just know from working with a lot of our kids that that come through the um, with disabilities, sometimes therapy is used because uh, they're processing emotions, they're looking at their life. And this changes a lot of things for them when they get that diagnosis in the family. And I think there's more of an awareness now that, than when I was younger. That's really impressive to hear because unfortunately there are aspects of society, not just in the US, but also in the UK where time has gone by, yet it feels like everything's still the same, that there's limited resources in that area right. because people are just not paying enough attention. And to hear that this has become this has been identified and then finances and support has been put in place and then help it grow and then actually be utilized sounds mm-hmm. fantastic because it means others that are coming through don't necessarily have to wait to get the adequate support they can get it sooner rather than later to then help them be able to navigate life in a more right. comfortable way than them trying to unnecessarily struggle so to speak i i really i really like the fact that it's not as uh, I could be I could be wrong in saying this, but it doesn't sound as bad as it potentially could have been. Right. Because I, I know I've got family members who have got their own ailments and their conditions and it's hard for them to do what other people can do without thinking mm-hmm. too hard about it. So to then think, right, they struggle, they got just the one condition with all due respect. Mm-hmm. And then you, you've you got three different things from what I remember what you said. It's like, it's not just this, but it's also that. And it's just because... And this is going to sound really stupid. I don't mean to sound that way, but there's days where I wake up and I just can't navigate how to use a pen or to use my hands or whatever. And I keep dropping things and it's frustrating right. because I, I just want to catch my keys, put them in the door, but I keep dropping the keys. <laughs> Why is everything taking that much longer in my day? But that's just, that's just, I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what it is, but that's frustrating for me. Right. But then if that's the norm for someone else, plus they've got, other things to contend with as well that could make a trip to the shop which should take 5 10 15 minutes half hour 45 minute job right. and mm-hmm. that is something that i try not to take for granted and i acknowledge it and i'm just thinking boy it, it must it must do something to you like how do you navigate that 
One of the things I try to do is I focus on a lot of the things I can do and I'm really good at, and I try to um, creative problem solving. So if I'm really struggling to open up a jar and my husband isn't around, we have, which even likes using this, we have a jar opener that we can use. Uh, and that helps. Uh, I'm not able to use a manual uh, can opener. So we have an electric can opener and that'll, that, that works. Uh, I, I can't drive. So what I'll end up doing is I, we live in a central location where I can walk or I have a great support system that can take me places. And I think sometimes it's more empowering to focus on what I can do rather than what I can't. I love that you do that because I, I, that's something I sort of encourage a lot. Mm-hmm. But wh- how did you arrive to that point where you decide to focus on the positive rather than the not so positives? I just got to that place where I was really stuck. And I was just at that point where what I was doing wasn't working. And I thought, okay, what can I, what's the thing that I can do to help myself? I may not be able to do certain things and that's okay, but what is it that I can do? What do I like doing? And when I started to be able to do those and and to identify a a lot of those solutions, that, um, that really helped me out a whole lot rather than just focusing on what I couldn't do. And what support did you have around you? Was it, did you have certain friends as well as family? Yes, I have um, I have a lot of friends and family that are helpful. Uh, my husband is wonderful. He will take me to work. And I have co-workers that can take me home. I have family that can help me out if I need it. I also have um, just, yeah, wonderful people that just are, are there. I can remember when I was in school and I was really struggling in a class and I had a friend that she she was just a good friend to me. And I had a, I had a few of those people that they couldn't go in and change my situation and give me an A and have me pass the class or they couldn't cure the disability. But what they could do was be a friend. And sometimes that was really um, a blessing to have that. Sounds fantastic. And I love that for you. Growing up in your teens, did you have that same support network, not including your husband, clearly? Right. Unless you've known him for a long time. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I had my family. They were always there for me and advocating uh, for for things that I needed. I remember I would have individual education plan meetings, and my mom, when she would go, would say, Hey, is there any, were your IEP meetings up? Is there anything you want us to talk about there? So they they showed me advocacy. they worked a lot with driving. That was a big thing. We tried. <laughs> I can remember uh, they. The, we lived down in the country, and we have this huge. We had this huge field, and they put me on the lawnmower to mow the the field. Well, instead of making nice uh, long lines, I ended up making circles. So I uh, joke around that that's where crop circles come from. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran into the garage so uh when we actually got in the vehicle so we knew that something was going on and sure enough when I got evaluated they said yeah it's probably not a good yeah you can't we can't give you a license because your visual perception um I did have some friends uh not the people that I went to school with necessarily uh there was a couple nice people but I started to hang out with some people that were in neighboring school district that were involved with the same thing and that gave me the courage to reach out, um, branch out into some other groups in the community. And I'm still friends with them 20 some years later. And people ask, well, was that a big deal that you couldn't drive when you were a teenager? Well, with my peers, it was. They were always asking me, did you get your license yet? But with my friends who were a couple years older, they might have asked that initially. But they were happy to pick me up. They were happy to take me places and hang out with me. So I... Uh, my teen years, my later teen years, I started to get uh, a broader support system outside of my parents. And of course, the school was helpful as well. I had some great teachers. I can still remember a student teacher who encouraged me uh, to go to college. And she said, you know, you can go to college. You know how to study and you know how to work hard. And that, that was amazing. And I got with an agency called Office for Vocational Rehabilitation. So they were able to provide some resources for me to go back to school as well. That's really good. I just I just realised I didn't ask this question, but I'll ask you now. The diagnosis, was it for all three of the, at the same time or did they pick them up over different periods in your life? The diagnosis? Um, 
they they picked them up during certain periods. We always knew I had a math learning disability. It was pretty clear at uh, age five I wasn't going to be a mathematician. Uh, but they had different ones. I had to be reevaluated. Uh, there were certain times during my school years I had to be reevaluated. That was a state requirement. And before I had testing uh, to go to college, one of the things that I needed to have before I could get any accommodations that we knew I was going to need, I had to I had to go get an evaluation done, and I had to I had to do a couple more uh, before I was going to go to grad school, and then I had to get it done for some uh, another thing. And during those times, we always kind of came up with the same results that I had a learning disability. But some of the things that we discovered later on was that I had limited hand dexterity, and that's when a lot of the light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, that's why I drop things out of my hands. That's why my handwriting is really bad. Uh, that, that was a surprising thing for me. Sounds like it was enlightening to you. It did it take the burden off your shoulders going, yeah. that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. At first, I think I was really surprised. But after a while, it, it, it took the burden off. I'm like, oh, now that's what it is. This makes sense and why things are really hard in, in that area. Nice. I... I'm I'm happy that you had the support around you. I can appreciate you maybe throwing a bit of a wobbly and just not being at your best all the time because sometimes it can get very frustrating. But obviously you learn how to cope, how to focus on the positives or focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. Let's just paint this picture right. If you could go back in time and it was to a period in your life when you wasn't at your best, when would it have been? I think when I wasn't my best was that first year of college, that that first thing when I came right out of high school. I think that was that was hard. I had a lot of um, fears about not being, not being able to handle the work. I cared a lot what other people thought about me. And it just, I was also working at the time. So it, that was a really hard period where I don't think I, I really was at, at the best that I could be because I was trying to do it without the accommodations and it just wasn't working out. So with you not accepting and being ashamed that you had a learning difficulty, have you now accepted it? Yes, I, I have accepted that I have a learning disability and I'm not ashamed to uh say that I have one. I, I do have the, the the privilege of being able to choose my audience because people can't look at me and say, oh, she has a disability. So um, there, there might be times where I may not say it in, in that way or um, just may, may choose not to because a lot of times I get people that'll say that I don't look like I'm disabled. But if somebody does ask or if the conversation comes up, I, I and even recently, I felt more like okay, I can speak about this, and I'm not ashamed of it. It's 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 who I am. It's it's a part of me, and I I can't imagine another life without it. Yeah, it's it's be considered as an invisible disability at that point, wouldn't it? Yeah, which has its uh, pros and has its cons. Definitely. So, would you say if that's not an L, what are you calling that then? If you're saying oh, at the time being diagnosed with this learning disability it's not the one but now in hindsight what is it I think it's a win for me I think during that time period we didn't diagnose a lot of people that had learning disabilities I mean there was legislation that was passed before that um not not a lot of big pieces but there was some that said hey if a student has a disability they need to uh definitely have those services but a lot of times People just weren't being diagnosed with that. So I kind of, it was a win because I also had the chance to, this was just a way of life for me. Once I got past the stigma and the shame, it just, I don't know, I can't remember a life before I got diagnosed with one. Very little, I remember. And it just wasn't a big deal after a certain point. I'm like, all right, this is what I need to do. There's just certain things that don't change, but it's it's a lifestyle. That's fantastic. So if we... If we imagine you went back in time, and it can be at the time when you just started college or another time, but you go back in time to see your younger self when you at your worst in regards to this situation, what would you tell your younger self just to help you continue and not give up? 
I would tell my younger self, it's going to be okay. Uh, things are going to work out for you. You have a wonderful life that is waiting. You're, you're going to get through this. It may not be the way that you think it's going to turn out, but it's going to turn out to something better. And I, I think just having that reassurance, that, because that's that's honestly what I feel that I needed. And I wish I could have uh, spent a lot of those years just uh, being, not worrying and not having that anxiety and just knowing that everything was going to work out. Do you think you would have heard yourself if you said that? I'm not 100% sure at that young age. I think that's hard um, to, to hear yourself. But I just wish in some ways that I may, may have known somebody that did have a learning disability because I think representation is so important. And, and that's one of the reasons why when I work with my students, I work with seventh graders this year. And I try to be really open that it's okay to have a disability. It's okay to be different and things are going to work out. It's not, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> definitely. And I can't remember if I said this to you when we spoke last, but it's definitely a case of where, well, no, I've definitely bought Instagram, but it's a case of we've all been born with something in us outwardly or inwardly yeah. that just shines a little bit different to some, that to everyone else. But then for whatever reason, we feel a bit embarrassed, a bit ashamed of it. And we just bury that under mm -hmm. a whole bunch of toot. And just to assimilate and be like everyone else, we're not picked on. We're just part of the cool kids in quotation. Yeah. And then eventually you're living a life that's not quite fulfilled. You're not as happy as you know you could be. Like you're not getting that proper belly laugh because it's just surface level. You're not tapped into, I, that's funny, but that's not right. my type <laughs> of funny. And then later on in life, whenever, whenever it will be in your teens, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whenever, you realise, I need to do a bit of rediscovery and find out who I am. Right. Then you dig up that thing within you, you dust it off and you let it shine. And all of a sudden you get a bit of a fulfilment in that moment because mm -hmm. you're now embracing who you are, what you have, and just letting it shine for the world to see and accept you. They accept you. If they don't, then those are not your people. That's fine. Yeah. You can go find those people that do like you and do want you around. And I'm just thinking like, I know if I went back in time to talk to my younger self, I could say a whole heap of stuff to him and say it very eloquently. Would I listen? <laughs> no <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would have there'll be different tech tactics i'd have to employ yeah just to say oh i'm gonna have to play a game with you or i'm gonna have to leave notes here or i'm gonna have to do something that because I, I i kind of have a better understanding of the person i was when i was younger if anyone's wondering i was amazing <laughs> <laughs> right I, yeah it's just yeah because i think when you're young you can't see the, the future what's ahead of you and uh, I think that, that that's just, that that's hard and you have to do those different tactics yeah so what would you say to be the most efficient way for you to hear what you was trying to communicate because you mentioned about representation do you think that would have been the the best way of presenting that or to have that information communicated to you via someone who has a learning disability that could then relate to you I think that is really important. I think that would have really helped because I know with the students I work with, sometimes I, I can't remember I had a girl and she wanted me to help her with her math and I couldn't help her. And there was somebody else, there was another girl in the class and she's like, so why can't you help her with this? And I said, well, I'm, God just didn't give me the ability to do math very well. And there was a girl in there, another one said, me too. And I was able to connect with that person that we all have things that we struggle with. Some things are really hard. I've had the humorous response of when I was trying to work in a first grade room and there was a, I got one of the answers wrong and a little girl asked and I said, oh, I'm just not that good at math. And she said, oh, there's grown up school for that. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were just like in shock, like, oh my goodness, how can an adult get this wrong? And it, it was just that, and the teacher was wonderful. She said, oh, sometimes we all make mistakes. And I think that's important sometimes that we do present ourselves, um, that, that we're human, we're all learning, we're all growing. There's things that I'm good at and there's things that I'm not good at. And th the same goes for uh, my, everybody else too. Yeah, that's, I do like that. Representation for me definitely is important. And when people can't see that, as in don't see that as a problem. Right. It, it, I'm exhausted before I even start a conversation. <laughs> now you just feel like, 
I've really got to go. How many steps backwards do I have to go <laughs> to be at the same level as you to then drag you into the present day to say, if no one's around the table that hey. is like this, you're missing the mark because you're going to do something and you haven't taken a certain demographic into consideration or allowed them to voice their concern. And that is that is a swile to me. But it's funny about your, your invisible disability because I had a guest on here a while ago mm-hmm. and he's, his actual Instagram handle and Twitter handle is you don't look blind because he's he's got a condition uh-huh. where his eyesight is deteriorating, but people just keep saying, oh, well, you don't look blind. And he does marathons. So people just assume because he's still living a normal, in quotation mark, life. Right. But you're not blind. Why Why does it have to be so so obvious to people? But And let's be honest, we're not looking at other people like that to sort of suss whether they got this or that going on with them. So mind your business and just accept what I say is gospel because why would I lie to you? There's, there's no reason for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are just trying to live their life like everybody else uh, will do that. And I think sometimes people really want to understand things. And... Uh, th- that can be really hard uh, once people do ask questions. And I think it's, it's ga- we want people to be able to understand. But I think it's um, learning to read the individual and seeing, like, I, I certainly want to go up to a store and ask somebody, hey, why are you so tall? Or why are you so short? Or why do you have blue eyes? Or why do you have brown eyes? And I think sometimes it's okay to ask questions, but we have to ask them in a respectful way and, and to just gauge what the person is feeling and thinking and, and just hold that space of respect for that person too. I 100% agree with that. I, I think sometimes people ask questions just for the sake of asking questions. Yeah. They think it's banter, it's small talk, and you're like, no, it's really annoying. Yeah, exactly. Shut up. I mean- <laughs> And sometimes, especially people will think with uh, disabilities you can't see, they're also paying you a compliment if they say, well, you don't look like you're disabled. And I'm thinking, well, there's really nothing wrong with having a disability. And some people can see them and some have ones you can't. And there's just, it's just a way of life. And that's that's just how we uh, we, we do that. I will ask a question because you said something there. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, when people do have an invisible or visible mm-hmm. disability, it will impact your mental well-being in different ways because if it's invisible, you could potentially just glide through life not having to disclose it unless you're put in a certain situation. But if you've got a visible disability, some people don't even leave their house because it is obvious for everyone to see. And then like we've spoken about how kids can just say some of the harshest things known to mankind. Do you really want to put yourself in that position? Do you really, you know, sometimes people might have like third degree burns through no fault of their own. Right. And they want to just go to the shop because they need this loaf of bread or this something. Mm-hmm. It missed off the delivery. But if they go out there, they're going to have someone go, eh, that person's whatever. And I feel sick thinking about that person having to endure that on a regular basis. Right. And yeah, it's just, how did your mental health get impacted by your condition if it did at all? Well, I think being people can't see it, a lot of times it's it they, they will dismiss it. And sometimes hearing that didn't make me feel very validated. It made me feel like, wow, okay, why can't I get math? And that put a lot of pressure on me, that, that pressure to perform and that pressure to overcome the disability. And um, having a learning disability is not something I'm going to overcome. It's something that I'll have for the rest of my life. But if I do the strategies that I, I've learned how to do to, to compensate for that or level the playing field, I, I can have success. It's just, but I'll always have a learning disability at the end of the day. And when someone diminishes that, and th- that to me just, that, that's really, um, it makes me more frustrated than if somebody just says, okay, you have a disability, you have a learning disability, that's okay. Uh, we, we still can see you and we can see you as a whole person, not just the disability or the idea of a normal person. I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is important that people understand that there is an element to it. And for people that may wonder why I kind of ask that question and why I got frustrated at people just asking questions for the sake of it. I have twins. I have newborn twins. And so many people are saying, oh, you got your hands full there. They want to come over. They want to stick their head in the pram. They want to take pictures and whatnot. Who are you? 
you act like COVID's not been a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you trying to beat up in my personal space? Right. And say, you got your hands full there and hold conversation with me. Mate, yes, my hands are full because I've also got another child. I don't need you to hold me up when I've got nappies to be chained simultaneously and all the rest of it. Can you let me do me? Unless you actually want to ask me a question that's going to help somebody in this, <laughs> in this situation, just keep that to yourself. And that's just me from a parenting perspective. If it's about me and someone that says something like, oh, you don't look... Oh, mate, shut up. Just, just, just yeah. go away. Just, just leave me alone. Just, I, I can't even be bothered with you right now. Just... Yeah, it can be frustrating. I think as well that you do find out some of the people in your circle, not necessarily one that you select to be in your circle, but that mm-hmm. are in your proximity, where their biases are and some of the things they may let slip. And you're like, oh, so you see me as this now rather than that. Yeah. And you've got to try not to, in my head anyway, you have to try not to project that onto that person and say, that's a you thing, that's not a me thing. Right. So that... that that can be challenging, I'm sure. Definitely. But I, I love that and I appreciate you sharing. So we've got your second L uh-huh. as saying, which which is very interesting because you did kind of touch on it a little bit, which is not using the accommodations that were offered for your learning disability. So is that saying that you had certain provisions that were put in place or that mm-hmm. were available to you and potentially out of pride, you said... I got this. It's fine. Leave me be. I'll come back if I need you. And in your mind, if was an asterisk saying not happening. Right. Was it something like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because um, when I first started out, I thought, okay, well, I have a math learning disability. So I got calculator usage if I was in a math class. Well, when I was really struggling in the math and we decided we're going to move on, uh, put that on the back burner for a while. I thought, okay, I'm not going to need extended test time. I'm not going to need to ha- have that And when I d- or tutoring. And when I didn't use it, I was struggling to get my test completed. I was, was really not getting good scores on them. I wasn't getting the tutoring to be able to understand the information. And that part of it was that stigma because I heard other people saying, oh, they're just getting the answers. And there were certain professors that said, well, we don't give exceptions out in my department. And I didn't have that support, really. And I even had one that was supposed to come to a meeting that she initially did and it was time to plan some other things. And I didn't really get a lot of support. She really didn't want to come and show up for that. So I think that I didn't feel really supported with using that. Finally, I was in a class where I was really struggling it was outside of my major and the professor was wonderful and she said why don't we at least get you some extended test time and i was able to use that i did some tutoring i passed the class and i didn't do well in it but i was able to pass it and um, i also was able to graduate with my associate's degree in early childhood and when i went back to university i knew that if i didn't do well in a class it wasn't the end of the world i also knew how to find a program. I found one that had the least amount of math and science possible, had something that interested me. And I used the accommodations that were offered. I had a note taker. I had tutoring if a class was really hard. I had a writing center. I really didn't need that as much, but sometimes if I just wanted someone to look over a paper, I could do that. I had a note taker so somebody could take notes and I could focus in on the lecture. And if my mom or my dad was going to study with me later, they could read uh, note takers handwriting a lot better than my own. And it was just, and most importantly, I advocated for myself. I wasn't afraid to go up to a professor and say uh, that, that I didn't know that I had a learning disability. And these are the accommodations that I'll be using. And most of them were very understanding, wanted to help, uh, wanted to do whatever they could for me. And there was always one or two that maybe didn't quite get the memo, but <laughs> um, I was able to know how to handle that. And I was, my grades really improved the second time. I made dean's list one semester and I graduated with a bachelor's degree despite being told I couldn't do it. Congratulations on all fronts. That is an amazing accomplishment because when people tell you you can't do something and you can somehow not just prove them wrong, but you can push yourself. You can sort of say, mm-hmm. well, let me just see what this body can do. Yeah. 
that is an amazing feat that you've achieved and I'm so happy for you. And it's not just a one time you did it. You thought, well, let's, we, we, we can, we can improve on this. Let's, let's, let's go back and oh, yeah. I'm getting really emotional about that. I, I, <laughs> I'm just so happy because I know I'd probably say, I've got a pass. Yeah, but you no, 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 I passed. Yeah, bye. I don't need to come back. I, I'm on the line. I don't care. I'm on the right side of the line. I'm good. <laughs> but I like the fact that you was in the frame of mind to say, no, I can do this. And my question to you is, what changed for why you accepted the accommodations? I think what I was going to do is I wanted to know that I did everything that I could possibly do for myself. And I wasn't even 100% sure it was going to work out. Uh, I still had that playing in the back of my head what a psychiatrist told me and what other people ha had said. So I didn't know if it was, but I was going to go forward and fight it with everything that I had. That's brilliant. So the original reason for you not taking the accommodation was what? The original reason was the stigma that surrounded it. And I didn't want to be boxed into a category. And also it was age and maturity. I, I think by the time I went back, I was older and mature and I, I really didn't care. And I, I thought, I'm just going to go and do this. And I was slowly starting to real accept that this is who I am and it, it's okay. The funny thing is the amount of conversations I have with people, I guess more so about what I'm going to say next offline than I do online in this capacity is... I've matured. I don't care. Yeah. That seems to be connected to one another. It's sort of like, I've matured. What does that mean? I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do me because I think to a certain degree we've come to, well, actually, no, I, I will say what I want to say in a minute. But what to you, when you say maturity and you say you don't care, what do you mean by that? Well, I definitely knew that I, by that point I moved out on my own and I had a job and I had an apartment. So I had some experience with having some different employers. So that also helped me to have that maturity that, okay, everyone's going to have a bad day. Um, so, and it was a lot of different situations where I kind of had to rise above with, with some challenges. And I just realized, okay, it might be, a, it might be a moment. It might be a bad day, but it's not everything. Um, I also think the, the, the not caring isn't that I didn't care about other people, um, like how I would treat other people, like the kindness, but it was, I was starting to view myself as an individual and this is what I need to do to make it. And it didn't matter with a, what a lot of people thought of me because I was starting to accept myself a lot more. And it was a slow process. I still wasn't a hundred percent there, but just getting there is like, okay, I can hear the stigma. I can hear all this, but it, it just didn't matter as much. Yeah, because, and I appreciate you sharing. It's when people say to me, I don't care. And my interpretation of that is, like you said, you're an individual. You've identified who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier being yourself then it is trying to pretend to be something something that yeah. you're not just to try and blend in and right. it's like i could do i could bend over backward i could be a contortionist right and you still won't like me yeah so i might as well just be me and if you don't like me i'm comfy i'm good i don't need to bend over backwards look wrap myself up into a pretzel i am fine as i am and i think that is a massive weight off our shoulders when we sort of realize People are going to like you or not like you, yeah. irrespective of who you are, what you're doing on any given day. So why not just do what you need to do and not make your life that much more challenging than it needs to be because you're worried about what other people may think. Bear in mind, they're probably not even looking in your direction when you do or do not do that thing that you was considering doing. Right, exactly. And I realized I can't control the reactions of other people or the actions. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to uh, look back on my experience and say, oh, you were cheating or that's not fair. And I just have to remember, well, that's their opinion. That's what they think. But I know in my heart that I did everything that I could do and I used the services that I needed and um, I can't control how, how someone's, what someone's going to do, but I can control my reactions and I can also control the, uh, the actions that I take in my life. I think it's commendable. I like the fact that you've done it. And how old did you roughly at this time? How old did you roughly at the time when you 
realize that you didn't care as much about the stigma? That was my late 20s. <laughs> That's when things started to... Okay. Yeah, and then when I graduated, when I was uh, by 30, I was like, okay, I, <laughs> I, I just felt more comfortable and more confident in myself. That's something important because a lot of people seem to feel like they need to get things done before they hit their 20s or mid-20s. And the reality is, is that mm-hmm. you get it done when you get it done. Yeah, realistically yeah, exactly. we're all different <laughs> and the, the reality always that success comes in cans not can'ts or cannot so it will be easier to go from point a to point b b in a straight line that's the most effective mm-hmm. way um or efficient way sorry however sometimes you've got to go right right left left right left right because life is that way for you it's just what happens but as long as you get there does it make a difference how you got there no you rarely look in the rearview mirror to see what happened because you're too mm-hmm. busy being excited about where you're going or what you're surrounded by. Yeah. So, I yeah, I love that. So, so when you was going through the um, not taking up the accommodations that were there available to you, what was the worst time for you to to really sort of go? No, 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 I am not doing this. What? When was that? I think it was pretty much that first semester, that fall semester that I started. I just thought, I, I'm not going to do this. And um, that that, w- that was really hard. And it, it took a, a couple semesters to even just get to the basics that I, that, that I needed. And how was your mental health at that point? Um, at the point in the beginning, it was not, you know, it, it was hard. It was really frustrating and <laughs> negative, but it began to get a little bit more positive towards um, and victorious whenever I started to, to, to use the accommodations and uh, use the strategies that work for me. So if that wasn't an L, what are you going to call that? I would call that a win, another win, using the accommodations and the strategies. I, I definitely call that a win once I figured out, um, had to learn it the hard way, but once it once I uh, solved that, it, it definitely became a win for me. And same as before, if you could go back in time to your younger self when you was in that situation, wh- whatever point you want to say is the hardest point, what would you tell your younger self to just encourage yourself not to throw in a towel? You're going to graduate. Your life is going to get better. You're going to find the job that you want. It's just going to get a lot easier. You just have to uh, use those support services, the accommodations, and just go forward, and you're going to get there. Would you have told yourself anything about not worrying about what other people think? Oh, definitely. I would say you can't control the reactions of other people. You need to uh, just uh, worry about you and um it's okay we're not everybody's you're we're not all going to be best friends and you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea but uh just to treat others with kindness sounds and again do you think you would have heard yourself i i think perhaps i would have a little more as i got older i think i might have heard myself if i could have said i came from the future uh (laughs) i i think i could have but i also think that there might have been a part of me that just might have still doubted it at that point yeah so right now, are you an advocate for the accommodations that are available to help people? I am definitely an advocate for that. If somebody does have a disability, I highly encourage them to reach out to their school, to reach out to anybody on the support uh, system and just see what accommodations are out there and what, what is recommended. Um, they've really done a lot of improvements. I got to see my alma alma mater and I looked up their services and they have a lot of other things that they they did um not you know from 15 years ago it's increased so slowly things are getting better and to just uh, see what's out there that sounds fantastic and i'm so happy to hear like i said before it's always nice to hear people sort of being in a position where they can help the next wave of people that are coming through to make it with less resistance than they had to face when they were coming through exactly that is really really encouraging and i'm really happy to hear that you've managed to achieve such great things in your life and it sounds like you're living what others would dictate or say is a normal life and you're doing it on your terms you managed to secure yourself a fantastic man in your husband Mm -hmm. and you seem like you have a happy life for your two cats as well yes just yeah i'm really happy for you and i think it's a testament to other people to sort of know that 
whatever you're going through right now isn't necessarily where you're going to reside forever and a day. It's it's the season. I'll ask you this question, actually. Do you think that because you kind of accepted your learning disabilities and then accepted the accommodations available to you, do you think that by having a better understanding of your condition and what's available to help you made it easier for you to have the life you wanted than it was to fight it? if that makes sense. Definitely, because when I use those accommodations and I use all those services, it, it's a much better result. And there's people that might have went to school earlier than I did, and some of them, they didn't have the services. So some some couldn't finish school, or some did, but it was a real struggle for them. So having those services that are out there and, and just that way of thinking makes all the difference. Beautiful, beautiful. That was really nice. I'm going to ask you, for the next two minutes, if you can unapologetically promote anything and everything that you're doing, what you got going on, where people can find you. Sure. I have recently I started a blog a few years ago uh, called Michelle's Mission.blog, and I write about a disability, life with a learning disability, and I use a lot of nature metaphors. Uh, nature is a big uh, part of my life, and I also put uh, photography on there. Uh, one of the things with not being able to drive is I get to notice details that other people will miss. And people say I bring out details in the photographs that um, other people miss as well. So uh, we'll be driving and my husband, I'll ask my husband, hey, did you see that? And he'll be like, no, I'm driving. I'm paying attention to the road as he should be. And I'll get to go back there and take a picture of the flower or whatever other really interesting thing is there. And I get to bring out other details. So I put that on my blog. And I've also had other disability articles published and um yeah i that's one of the things that i'm working on is writing and photography and just trying to uh, be an advocate for uh, those that have disabilities fantastic and where can people find you on socials uh you can find me at michellesmission.blog and i'm on facebook and instagram as well nice i'll put all the details in the show note um, for people that want to reach out to you but i honestly I greatly appreciate you sharing it's so nice to hear from someone who has something that I may not have been aware existed as a series of conditions, but nice to see that you've managed to make a life for yourself that you're happy with and makes you happy. So yeah, all I can say is folks, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation because I really have. And Michelle is just such a lovely soul. And I hope that we get to keep this relationship going for as long as we can, because it's, it's just refreshing to meet different people. You only get better through meeting more diverse groups of people because you'd be more well-rounded and more be able to make that connection between some people that say oh I've got a learned disability but I'm not sure how to navigate situations well I know someone that might be able to relate to that and could offer you some techniques or if you've got any resistance about certain things they might be able to identify or relate to that and that could just help make that connection whereas I could say well I can imagine what you're going through which is nice Mm -hmm. but if there's someone that can actually relate to that that's probably a little bit better especially as you can hear she's so caring she's so kind she does this for a job as well anyway and on the back of it she's doing her blogs which just shows that she's taking that passion outside the classroom and out into the world so that the other people don't feel as alone as they could do so I greatly appreciate you coming on I I love I love hearing all that you said and like I said I hope the relationship continues to go and folks I hope the conversation inspired you to know that if there's even an ounce of you that feels like you just fall outside of the in quotation mark norm embrace it if you need to use any accommodation or provisions that are there for you then take it, use it. It's only it's only there to help level at the playing field for you. It's not to say that you are rubbish, you're you're not adequate, you're not the same as your peers. It's saying that it's been identified that this might be an issue for you. Let me help you. Just like if someone was in a wheelchair and I could open a gate for them, I'm not being an ass by opening a gate for them. I'm being considerate and if, if you think I'm being asked, I'll ask the person, would you like me to get the gate for you? Because they might want to do it to prove themselves. But unless there's dialogue there and an understanding, it's going to be a problem. And let's just, let's just try and remove any and all unnecessary barriers and just try and reunite as a society and just help us know that 
you're different, I'm different, but that's okay. We can be two sides of the same coin, that's good. So I've still said what I've said to say there's nothing about a caterpillar that tastes could be a butterfly. So wherever you're at now, may not be where you're gonna be in the future. Do what you need to do and feel what you're feeling, it's all good. But just know that those feelings will not last as well. Take care of yourself and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Take care. Yeah.